911. What are you reporting? Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Did you see what it was? Was it a person or an animal? or? I can't tell. All I know is that my central light came on and I just happened to glimpse and see this thing running across the yard. Uh, a good-sized man or something that looks like a man. I don't know what it was, just that it ran across the yard. Okay. Hominin 
running around the deep south. So I wanted to find out for myself if there was something to it or not. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, we, I, I, I can't pull the name uh, out of my cloudy mind right now, but we have the guy on who wrote the book about the legend of Boggy Creek uh, last year. Maybe you can, uh, maybe you'll what? recall it. But uh, Lyle Blackburn. There you go. Yes, yes, Lyle Blackburn. He just came out with another book too that people are uh, really enjoying too. But yeah, it's funny because uh, I think uh, there's been a couple of guests I've had on the program who were inspired by that movie. It's really uh, pretty crazy that it launched so many careers in a way. Yeah, it really seems to be one of the uh, the main inspiration for a lot of Bigfoot researchers. I mean, people that uh, um, have been in this as long as I have, like Craig Woolheater, for example, the Texas Bigfoot Research Center, it got him motivated and involved in it. And there's a lot of folks that just really, that movie just kind of sparked something inside of them to, to look further into the, the phenomenon and see if there's anything to it. It's It's still a pretty successful movie to this day. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised they haven't... Uh... <laughs> they will eventually. They'll reimagine it somehow and <laughs> and and ruin all of our childhoods. Um, uh, on uh, that's a, that's I guess let's let's sort of just jump right in because there's so much to talk about here. And like I said, we haven't done a big uh, no pun intended. We haven't done a big Bigfoot episode in a while. So there's lots of stuff. Uh, as I said before, we got on the show. I was just writing down, just writing, writing, writing stuff down that I want to talk about. Uh, and and I've been as I said, we we wanted to put this show together a while ago and. I noticed uh, in the last few shows I've done, Bigfoot's cropped up over and over again. So finally this weekend, I'm like, i got to get Eric on the phone here and talk about Bigfoot and, and devote the time to it. What is going on right now, I guess, in the field of Bigfoot research? Give me sort of an overall state of it. Things are, things are kind of hairy. Again, no pun intended. We're gonna be, I'm going to be punning all over the place here tonight. But no pun intended. It's hairy right now with this, with this Rick Dyer thing and the Dead Bigfoot tour. We can, we can get into that in a moment. But I guess just generally... What's the state of things? Because it seems incredibly hot right now. Bigfoot seems so hot. It, it's like where ghosts were five years ago. It's kind of scary how, how big this is getting. Oh, yeah. It really has uh, grown in leaps and bounds. It almost reminds me of uh, the Bigfoot craze in the 1970s when In Search of came out and um, Monsters and Mysteries. Uh, I mean, it, just so many different movies came out in the 70s. That's what it kind of reminds me of. The, the Bigfoot phenomena is basically sweeping the country. And it's due in large part to shows like Monster Quest, Finding Bigfoot, um, shows like that that have come on, like the Discovery Channel, Travel Channel. Every time you turn around, there's a documentary or a new movie coming out about Bigfoot. And uh, as you mentioned, I was supposed to be on in November. I even had a movie come out I was a part of um, based on Bigfoot sightings here in Pennsylvania. So it has become a, really a worldwide phenomenon. And mainly Finding Bigfoot's been the real catalyst to, to bring the Bigfoot craze back around again because that show has millions of uh, viewers and, and people love the show and hmm. um, the kids love Bobo and, and, you know, it's really swept uh, the imagination of the general public. It's pretty, it's pretty weird in a way because it's kind of like when you're a fan of a garage band or something because uh, I wasn't around for the original Bigfoot boom, uh, as you're saying, from the 70s. So it's weird for me, like, just to see – people talking about Bigfoot, you know? I remember mm -hmm. when I got really back into all this like 10, 12 years ago, you, you really couldn't, you never saw anybody even mention Bigfoot on TV or anything. So, and if it was, it was like a one-off joke or something. Rarely, where you're all, your ears perked up, you're like, but did they just mention Bigfoot? Now it's like you can't turn around without running into a Bigfoot thing on TV. It's 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 really surreal is probably the best way to put it. It, it is, and, and it's weird for guys like me and... and 
uh, my, some of my colleagues that have been doing this for 15, 20 years, you know, we were kind of uh, in the closet Bigfooters. I mean, we were out there doing the research, and our names were out there in the public. But people were kind of ridiculing us for, you know, looking at us like we're crazy. You're looking into Bigfoot? That's nuts. And now everybody's coming out of the proverbial Bigfoot closet and wants to be a Bigfoot researcher. You can't, you know, trip over a Bigfoot researcher, you know, if you go out in the woods. It's it's kind of ridiculous as to how popular it's become. And unfortunately, it's got a bad side to it now because everybody's a so-called Bigfoot expert. Hmm. And uh, it's it's crazy. You're right. It is very surreal. Yeah, yeah. That's the weird part. Uh like I said, uh, it's, it's like being a fan of a garage band or something like that. Or mm-hmm. I was a big wrestling fan, so when it all took off, like in the late '90s, it was kind of like that. Where it was like, well, I was watching back when it was terrible, and all you frat guys are <laughs> <laughs> now you're just watching having parties. So uh, I, we teased this thing. I talked a little bit about this. I, I actually did more looking into it uh, in the interim since we began setting all this up because I wanted to know more. So I was informed. But what 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 is going on? Because it's all over the news. What is going on with this Rick Dyer, Dead Bigfoot tour? I guess bring people up to speed on that, so we can kind of, you know, have it on the record, so folks can understand this down the line. You know, five, ten years from now, when they listen to the show again, they're, they're hopefully, hopefully it'll uh, it'll be a footnote in history. So, but right now it's big news. So tell folks all about this Rick Dyer thing because it's pretty wild. Yeah, the Rick Dyer story goes back to 2008. Um, he was one of the perpetrators of what is known as the Bigfoot in the Freezer hoax. Um, he and his partner, Matt Witten, was a uh, police officer who was on medical leave. He had gotten shot in the hand, and he was on medical leave. And the two of them came up with the idea to play a prank on Bigfoot researchers. So they thought we were foolish and a bunch of morons, so they wanted to play a prank on us. And they started releasing YouTube videos at that time, um, and just calling themselves Bigfoot, best Bigfoot trackers in the world, and uh, they had a body, and they started making these announcements that they were going to release it to the world, which really drew everybody's attention because the just the mention of a Bigfoot body after all these years just really perplexed a lot of people. Yeah, and of course uh, they got Thomas Biscardi involved, and it kind of blew out of proportion. They had a big press conference out in uh, Palo Alto, California, um, in August of 2008. A few days later. Um, it was discovered that it was nothing more than a suit stuffed with uh, pig entrails and different animal parts and, and frozen in a, a makeshift freezer. And uh, everybody knew who Rick Dyer and Matt Witten were. It, he became a household name because of the hoax. Right. And since that time, he's actually perpetrated or tried to perpetrate four additional hoaxes on the Bigfoot researchers and the Bigfoot community as well as the general public. He's claimed since 2008 to have two two separate occasions have a body that he shot. And, of course, it was taken away by the men in black and confiscated by the government. And, and his stories became more and more incredible. Um, fast forward uh, up to 2012, he was in the process of filming a movie with a, a company called Minnow Films out of uh, England, out of the U.K. And uh, they were filming he, uh, Rick Dyer, uh, Thomas Biscardi, and two Ohio researchers for this film. And he claims while on location in uh, San Antonio, Texas, that he videotaped a Bigfoot outside of his tent um, that was eating some food that he had nailed to a tree. And he goes on later to tell that it was ribs that he bought from a Walmart that he put on the tree. (laughs) And um, the video was pretty impressive for those who first saw it. Nobody knew who did it. The man who put the video out there, of course, it was Rick, 
wasn't claiming the video. It was just released to YouTube, and a lot of people were paying attention to it. Then it was found out it was Rick, and when he started getting the attention he did back in 2008, his story began. He claimed he had shot a Bigfoot and killed it, and uh, Minnow Films and uh, their crew were involved with the uh, the whole incident, and the body was taken by investors to a secret storage facility somewhere in an undisclosed location, and uh, he kept taunting people in the research community with more and more fabricated stories that it was going to be released, and we have proof, uh, undeniable proof, and you skeptics, you know, all you doubters and haters, as he calls them, um, this is going to be revealed. Well, fast forward to 2014, um, just you know, the beginning of this year, he came out with pictures of a prop. I call it a prop because that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, yeah. But he came out with these pictures and said, well, here's the dead Bigfoot. I shot it. I killed it. And uh, he was supposedly going to release the uh, the body, uh, more photos of the body and video, and do a press conference on February the 9th with uh, Washington, one of the universities in Washington State where he claimed the body was studied and analyzed and an autopsy was done on it. But, of course, no, with knowing Rick and, and knowing his tales, he canceled the press release, or the press conference, I should say, um, and he began to tour this body around the country. Yeah. Um, he went to was supposed to start in um, Arizona, and uh, no venues would have him. <laughs> yeah, I see that. That's right. Yeah, they've yeah. turned him down and turned him away. A UFO conference down there in uh, Flagstaff, I believe, turned him away as well. And uh, now he's supposedly in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, trying to um, charge people twenty dollars per person to come in and see this prop that uh, he has on the side of the road. So. <laughs> That's the the very brief summary of the whole Rick Dyer story. It's it's yeah. I I looked into it. I was happy to see that apparently he can't get you know he went to Phoenix and no one even wanted him in in the area. You right. Know. So that's a good that's the good part of it. You know, it's like all right, good. It seems like the general public realizes this guy is full of malarkey. But then the unfortunate part. And I, I mean, I guess I understand it from a media perspective, but the unfortunate part is like this—it's still all over the news, right? You know, like Daily Mail picked this thing up. I guess if you take a fantastic photo, even if it's a terrible looking to everybody else uh, of a fake Bigfoot, uh, it's enough to get page hits, and and so places like Daily Mail and New York Daily News picked it up. It's uh, it, it's pretty ridiculous in a way. It's it's frustrating because I think it, that it gives the wrong impression. That the people in the Bigfoot community buy this stuff, you know, so then it makes right. it, it, it's terrible. It, it is, and the media is um, giving him a lot of attention, as you said. I mean, it's it's been on every major media outlet there is. Um, the majority, I'd say, ninety-five to ninety-seven percent of the Bigfoot research community don't buy it. Um, there's a lot of doubt. Um, I mean, his story has changed so much in the past two and a half years. Every time you turn around, he makes something up. Now there's three Bigfoot bodies that he has. <laughs> Not one, but three. And he shot three of them, and it just gets more and more incredulous. When somebody calls him out on something and says, well, you said this, and this isn't true because we have this proof, he changes his story to something else to try to cover his tracks. And he's notorious for that. Hmm. And uh, his whole tour right now is about making money. He wants to take this body around and try to make as much money as he can because his whole thing with the media was, I have definitive proof. I have the body. 
I have test results, I have uh, CAT scans, I have 3D imaging scans, I have DNA. Um, we're going to have a huge press conference on this date. And then all of a sudden that date comes and guess what? No press conference. Yeah. And he has a habit of doing that. So um, there's a lot of doubters, a lot of skeptics, a lot of people just don't buy it. I'm, I personally don't think he has a body. I've seen it, and it's a really poorly put-together prop. Yeah, there's just no way. There's just there's just no way. It it stretches, you know, credibility or credulity to the very limit. If he had a Bigfoot body, even if he – I don't want to offend people, but even if he's a rube, you know, you'd think that he would be smart enough to – Prove it and just pr- just prove it, dude. Just prove it. Don't bring it around. Just prove it. You'll be you'll get plenty of money just by proving it. You don't need to bring it to shopping malls. It, it doesn't it doesn't right. make any sense unless he's faking it. Well, that's that's the whole thing. Is if he really wanted to validate himself for the hoax of 2008, like he's claiming to all these media outlets, then you do it the right way. Right. You you take the body to uh, renowned authorities such as Dr. Jeff Meldrum or um, Esteban Sarmiento, or Natalia Reagan, or Dr. Todd Disatel, the folks that are, are on the fringe, end, fringe, fringe edge of Bigfoot research, the, the scientists, and let them take a look at it, and they can validate your story. However, he's chosen not to do that. Everything has been very secretive with him. He won't disclose any names, any locations, any facts, any proof, really, except for this supposed body. And Unfortunately, he has it in a glass case where nobody can touch it. Nobody can take samples from it. Uh, and he's keeping the general public. He's only allowing the general public to come in and see this thing. He will not let any viable scientist or reputable researcher come in and, and look at this thing. It's all you know, kept locked up and under glass, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's like that Minnesota Iceman all over again. But exactly. It, it's uh, <laughs> how times have not changed in a way. Right. Um, and the weird part about the guy, well, I guess it's not so much him too, because uh, uh, when I was looking into this, uh, I hopped, I did sort of one of, I fell into one of those Wikipedia type holes where you click one link and next thing you know, you're eight clicks away from what you originally looked at. <laughs> and uh, I found an original article from the the 2008 Bigfoot hoax. And and the one thing that kind of stood out to me, and this is what his buddy said, uh, the Witten guy, but it kind of applies to him too. Um, but the Witten guy says, everyone who has talked down to us is going to eat their words. And mm-hmm. it's just, there's this underlying current of anger from this from this guy, it, completely unjustified anger. Whereas, if, dude, if you shot the Bigfoot and, and captured the Bigfoot or killed the Bigfoot or proved the Bigfoot, then I would understand being angry that people don't respect you or whatever. But it's like you haven't even done anything. What are you so angry about? Right. Well, the best the best part of all of this if you do some digging on him and, and go back, and there are websites specifically dedicated to proving this hoax. I mean, they, they've they documented and recorded every statement he's made, every YouTube video, every radio interview. And you can go back and listen to him contradict himself time and time again. But there are interviews that he's done where he's come right out and said, there is no such thing as Bigfoot. I don't believe in Bigfoot. And if I get the chance, I'm going to perpetrate another hoax again on the Bigfoot community that's going to be the grandest hoax of all time, even bigger than 2008. And, and it's in his own words. I mean, he's admitted, openly admitted, he's one of the best hoaxers of all time. So when you have a guy that's openly admitting this, saying, you know, I'm going to hoax again, right off the bat, your red flags go immediately up. 
And for him just to continually say, I've got a body, I've got a body, I'm going to prove it, I want to validate myself, well, right there is an, out, an outright lie when, he, you know, a couple radio interviews before he's saying, I'm the greatest hoaxer of all time and I'm going to perpetrate another big big hoax. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it doesn't make any sense why he's so angry. I don't <laughs> like, yeah. I just think, you know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh, you know, maybe I didn't like ballet or whatever or ice skating because the Olympics <laughs> are on. I'm trying to think of something like, uh, you know, but I'm not actively <laughs> trying to disrupt the community. It's like, geez, dude, if you don't if you don't believe in Bigfoot and you hate people that believe in Bigfoot, become a skeptic. Right. <laughs> don't don't uh, right. don't perpetrate these hoaxes. But uh, we probably spent enough. How, I guess the only other question really about this guy is how how much longer you think he's going to be in the headlines? Do you think it's, this is going to fizzle out? Like I imagine if they're already ditching him in Phoenix, that this thing can't pick up much more steam. I feel like it's on the downslope. Hopefully, we're hoping it is. Um, and fortunately, there's a lot of folks who know this is a hoax. I mean, they've followed it from the start. And they're reaching out to these venues and forewarning people in advance, hey, he's coming to your area. This is what he's done. Here's the proof of what he's done. Do you want to associate yourself with a, a known criminal and a known fraud, a uh, scam artist, uh, a fraud, a hoaxer? And usually those businesses see that and they're like, uh-uh, we don't want that kind of reputation. So they cancel the event. And I'm hoping uh, there's some people that are working behind the scenes to try to get um, the nail in the coffin, so to speak, the, the final proof to prove that it is a prop, and they're, they're, from what I understand, my sources that I've talked to say they're very, very close to, to getting that proof that it is a prop. Um, so hopefully this is the, the last uh, hurrah of Rick Dyer, but I have a feeling we'll be hearing from him again. Now what's the story with this other dead Bigfoot, uh, the shooting Bigfoot film, this Justin Smeha, um I guess he's affiliated now with the Bigfoot Bounty Show. Let's tie all that in together, I guess. What, first of all, what the hell is this Bigfoot Bounty Show? I don't know much about it. I immediately sort of just missed it because it sounded too over-the-top for me. Right. Um, and if it's a reality show, unless it's a live weekly show, I presume they didn't. no one got the Bigfoot because if someone – let's say they filmed it in September and someone got the Bigfoot, they wouldn't wait until February to be like, hey, we got the Bigfoot. They'd say, you know – we got the Bigfoot, tune in, because the show's going to start. You'll see how we did it. So right. I presume we're not going to get the Bigfoot, but, but, no. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm running in circles on my own here. What, 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 what is the story with this Bigfoot bounty show? And then tie that into this Smeha guy who claims he shot a Bigfoot. I heard his story. I'm sorry, uh, I don't believe that one either um, for a number <laughs> of reasons. You're not alone there. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, the Bigfoot bounty show is, is kind of like a um, – cross between Survivor meets The Great Race meets The Bachelor. I mean, it seems like it's all these different uh, reality TV shows that are rolled up into one mm. with a Bigfoot spin on it. Uh, they had nine teams. Um, some of them were hunters and trappers and wildlife photographers. Some were Bigfoot researchers uh, or those who claimed to be Bigfoot researchers. And uh, the show was filmed in July at several locations throughout the Pacific Northwest and different parts of the country. And the object of the show was for the first team to provide undeniable proof that Bigfoot exists would win a $10 million prize. And uh, as the show were, you know, as I said, filmed in, in the summer, July and August, um, here we are with two teams remaining. And if they had found a Bigfoot, you're right, they probably would have come out and said, we found a Bigfoot and tuned into the show to see how we did it because their ratings would be through the roof. Right. And, um, you know, 
from what I've been told, no one proved Bigfoots exist. So <laughs> I think it's a, a little disappointing, but it's kind of like a, an elimination where each team has to provide proof every week, um, and if they don't or they provide the worst proof, they're eliminated, much like Survivor. And they're down to two teams out of the nine, mm. and whoever is the last team there, I, I assume gets some kind of um, uh, some kind of prize, some kind of runner-up prize um, for being the last team. Mm. Um, Justin Smeha and Rose Sahibi were one of the teams in this Bigfoot Bounty show. Now, uh, Rose Sahibi is a filmmaker, and he was the gentleman who filmed and directed the short film Shooting Bigfoot, Okay, which is the story of uh, Justin Smeha, who claims that in 2010 he and a hunting buddy were road hunting in the Sierra Mountains of Northern California, and they came into an open pasture, and they saw what they first thought was a bear standing on two legs with its arms raised up in the air, almost kind of like surrendering or saying, you know, don't shoot, that kind of posture. Yeah. And he stopped, the driver stopped the truck, Justin stepped out of the truck with rifle in hand, put the scope on this thing, and when he saw it, he, he even states it was a monster, it was out of place, I didn't know what it was, I, it could have been a guy in a, a costume, but it didn't look out of it didn't look like anybody I've, I've ever seen before some kind of monster so I just shot it and he claims that the creature um started to take off running he shot it a second time and it ran off into the brush disappeared from sight and he and his hunting partner got out and started to look around the area to see if they could find the the body cuz he claims he hit it twice and uh, they started searching the area for the body, and uh, while they were searching, they encountered two small, juvenile, almost uh, childlike Bigfoot creatures. And uh, one of them came towards him. He shot it in the throat, um, and he eventually choked it to death. And he claims he killed two Bigfoot, uh, an adult and uh, a juvenile Bigfoot. And uh going into panic mode and being afraid that you know somebody he would get in trouble for doing this shooting an unknown animal they decided to bury this uh juvenile bigfoot under brush and pine limbs and uh, different uh branches and things like that and leave the area well he when he did that he uh finally came out and told a story to a few people um a few researchers well-known researchers like bobo from finding bigfoot and a few others went up to the area to try to, to recover the body. Well, they did recover uh, a body, but as it turns out through DNA testing on three different uh, tests that were done, the uh, flesh that they brought back, the, the hair and flesh, was nothing more than a black bear. So there was no proof that he actually shot uh, a little one or a big one. It's his story. Right. Now, the interesting twist to this was he did take a polygraph test um, and... Uh, passed the polygraph test with flying colors. So that's the only thing he has going in his favor that he actually shot one. But I'm not a polygraph expert, so I can't say if they can be beaten or not, but I've heard from several people that if you believe something uh, to be true, that you can pass one of those tests. So it remains to be seen. Yeah, I've heard all kinds of stuff about how to beat those tests. So I wouldn't even... If he's, if he's, if he's so far down the realm of, of faking a Bigfoot, shooting a baby Bigfoot... Then, <laughs> then I feel like he would prepare himself to, uh, you know, even if he had to drink bleach to pass the to pass the uh, lie detector test. But it's uh, it, the whole thing doesn't add up for me because I heard I heard a long interview with him and he said uh, 
he said part of the thing, part of the reasoning to shoot the baby Bigfoot was that so people would believe what happened. Exactly. And it's like, so your whole motivation for shooting the baby Bigfoot, then you do it, and now you don't like you don't want to prove that it happened. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then, and then in the interview, also he was like, "This is the worst thing I ever did in my life. I terribly regret it." And it's like, it, how it, you're. How if you, if it's the worst thing you ever did in your life, man? Why are you doing a TV show? Why are you doing a movie about it? You know, if I, if I if I did something horrible and regretted it for the rest of my life, I wouldn't be out there. Uh, and it certainly wasn't like a "Hey, don't do this, folks" type of thing. It was "Hey, here's my story. It was a terrible thing that I did, but let me tell you about it." So to me, it just doesn't even add up on a human nature level. Well, that and the fact that after he said he deeply regretted it, he openly admitted he would do it again. Exactly. So, I mean, it's his story is very peculiar. It really is. And I've seen no physical proof uh, brought forth to say that he did do it. A lot of people say that, you know, he did shoot a Bigfoot, and they believe that he did. And maybe in his own mind he shot a Bigfoot, but there's been nothing physical brought forward to you know, prove that he shot a Bigfoot. We basically have to take his word for it and a polygraph test. So that's really all we have. And it's not much. It's weird no. <laughs> the, the shooting, Bigfoot shooting. I guess I guess in conjunction with Bigfoot becoming hot, uh, unfortunately, shooting Bigfoot is all is also hot, which is kind of un- unfortunate. <laughs> it is. Uh, well, what's I guess we talked about the crappy part of <laughs> what's going on in Bigfoot research. Where are we at on 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 the actual good side? You know, where are we at on on the legitimate researchers like you? and other folks out there who are really trying to get to the bottom of this. I mean, it's a long-standing mystery. With that mystery, where do we stand on trying to figure this all out? Well, I think the best part of Bigfoot research right now is the technology has advanced uh, so far that um, researchers, credible researchers, have the opportunity to get their hands on some good quality technology to help with the research. Back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, oh, you had a camera and maybe, if you were lucky, a VHS video camera to take with you in the woods. Now there's thermal FLIR, there's cam, uh, trap cameras, game cameras. Um, there's a lot of good material out there for us to use that will help in the research. Plus, uh, being in the public eye and being so hot, there's a great interest in it, which brings more eyewitnesses out into the public, especially to the researcher. They feel a little more comfortable because it's more accepted, and they're willing to come out and share their stories where – Ten years ago, a lot of people really didn't want to share a Bigfoot sighting when they had one. They keep it quiet for you know decades, and now because it's it's okay that you know people are on TV doing it, a lot more people feel comfortable coming out and saying, "I did see a Bigfoot. Here's the sighting. Here's the location." And researchers, credible researchers, are able to get out to those locations and look for viable evidence. Uh, where we stand now, uh, we stand the same place we did five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. We don't have any definitive proof. Yeah. A lot of uh, circumstantial anecdotal evidence uh, continues to pile up. The footprints, the castings, um, eyewitness stories. We're probably around three to 4,000 eyewitness reports now, um, and more and more are coming out. Um, so we're really no further ahead than we were back in the 60s and 70s. We really aren't. Yeah, it's difficult. It's that was part of one of the questions I had here in the notes, or I guess one of the 
overarching sort of, uh, as I teased when we were setting up the interview, uh, when I posted on Facebook, one of the long-standing conundrums. It's like, what do we really actually know about the Bigfoot today, at the end of the day, uh, that we didn't know 50 years ago? It's hard to really put your finger on much that we that we can say we actually know. It's still a huge mystery. Exactly. And, and when I do my lectures, uh, that's a question I get asked all the time. What what do you know to prove this is legitimate? And I don't. I don't know that the, the information that I'm lecturing on is factual. I mean, it's all speculation. It's all assumption because all we really have to go on are eyewitness testimony stories. I saw Bigfoot doing this. I saw Bigfoot eating that. No one has ever been able to study, no scientist that I know of has been able to study a Bigfoot in its natural habitat, watching them eat uh, a deer or a fishing out of a, a pond and, and you know, eating a, a fish or you know, eating berries off a tree. No one's ever seen that. So we don't know for a fact that Bigfoot does that. All we can do is take the word of an eyewitness. And that's, that's really all we have at this point, along with the anecdotal evidence, the tracks, and, and those have been um, shown that they can e- easily be faked. So there's really not much that we have right now to prove that Bigfoot really exists. It's a challenge, I, that's why at the beginning of the show I called it my nemesis. I've always been interested in Bigfoot. I, I find it so vexing that it's so difficult to get to the bottom of it. Now, I've, I've, I've sort of beaten the drum here on the show for a statistical analysis in the world of UFOs. Uh, has there been any sort of look at uh, statistics with regard to Bigfoot? Because I feel like there's something involving... Uh, migratory patterns that needs to be looked at, and maybe somebody has, but I feel like if we could may, if we could unlock some kind of migratory pattern situation, we may be able to get a step ahead of the Bigfoot, but I presume possibly that someone's tried this. There have been people who have looked at the migratory patterns. I myself have looked at some of the patterns based on reports here in Pennsylvania, and I've seen some small patterns, but not enough to stay one step ahead of the Bigfoot. If I knew or you knew or any researcher knew where Bigfoot was going to be in a certain time, we could be in that area to get that evidence and prove once and for all these things you know, legit. But we don't know if it's a migratory animal or nomadic. We don't know if it, it, it hunts in groups for food. We don't know very much about the animal. Right. And unfortunately, because we don't know that, we don't know when it's going to show up or where it's going to show up. Um, the sightings are so random. You do see some patterns show up in the sighting reports, but unfortunately it's not enough to really tell you when and where a creature is going to be at. Um, I, I really believe that if these animals do exist, there's such a small number of them that it's hard to try to guess you know, where they're, they're going to be. You just don't know. It's like, uh, as um, a researcher once told me, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack when the needle is constantly moving. Yeah, it's almost like weather in a way too. It's we're dealing with something that we don't quite understand how it happens. You know, it's almost if you were in the 1800s or whatever, and you were dealing with hurricanes or something like that. You, you know, now maybe they know when it's gonna. Now they do know when the when a hurricane's gonna happen. But back then, no one could predict it, so you had to ha- let it happen and try and figure out what caused it. It's almost like that in a way. We're dealing with something we don't quite have all the information on how it happens together right yet. Right. And there, there's a lot of theories from a lot of researchers around the country and around the world that have looked into this, and, and they speculate Bigfoot is uh, a missing link or Bigfoot is uh, 
an undiscovered primate or a relic hominid or Bigfoot is uh, an ancient human being or a tribe of uh, Native Americans that that decide to hide in the woods. There's so many different theories and so many different speculations about what Bigfoot is, where it comes from, its habits. And really, to be honest with you, Tim, no one really knows what Bigfoot is or what it does. Yeah, I've heard all kinds of theories about that and what... You know the big one. The big one that sort of is the is the sticky point in a lot of this is the is the paranormal Bigfoot, the interdimensional Bigfoot. Uh, you know the the non flesh and blood part of it all. That that really is becomes makes it even stickier as you look at it further. And I know you you uh, I was reading your about me and you mentioned Stan Gordon as a mentor. And Stan Gordon has that amazing book on the uh, on the Bigfoot UFO flap that happened in the 70s. But I, I, for just just in general, let's dive a little bit into the interdimensional paranormal theories. I mean, what do you think of all that? I'm really not sure what to make of all that. I keep an open mind when I research Bigfoot and look into the phenomenon because, as I said, no one really knows. And uh, I, I try to investigate all avenues possible. I don't subscribe to one theory or another. I used to. I used to think Bigfoot was nothing more than a, a Gigantopithecus blackie that simply migrated over from Russia along the Bering Straits, came down into Canada, North America, and we were dealing with a very sparse population of that. But as I continue on with this, and I, I find more uh, questions to answers, it really perplexes me. So I keep an open mind, and I look into all possibilities. Um, being that Stan is a mentor, and I've known him for about 30 years, I've actually investigated quite a number of cases in the last 10 or 15 years with Stan. And I'm very familiar with his research in the early 1970s up through today. And some of the cases that he's talked about and he's researched are, are really off the wall, very strange cases of high strangeness, very strange cases that involve Bigfoot's disappearing in a flash of light when shot at, or tracks that just simply stop. Like if you're following a set of tracks in the snow, they come to an end, and they don't go up in the trees. There's no trees around. They just, they just end. Um, he has a fascinating case that took place in Fayette County in uh, the late 1973 in October where supposedly a UFO craft came down a, on a farm in a little community called Lysing, Lysing Ring, Pennsylvania, and Supposedly, the UFO was sighted by uh, several of the residents. A state police officer was involved. He witnessed some strange phenomenon. Two Bigfoot-like creatures were seen in the same area as the supposed UFO was. Uh, and there are cases like this. They're not a high abundance of cases, but there are these strange cases that do get reported from time to time. So I keep an open mind, and I look into all these cases to see if there's any validity to it. Yeah, because when you're dealing with this, with the with the par- when you throw the paranormal element of the UFOs into it, you never just you just never know what's going on there. The UFOs could be they could be as perplexed by the Bigfoot as we are, so they could be flying overhead and be like, "It's a Bigfoot," right? You know, and then they're like, "Turn the thing around, man! That's a Bigfoot." So so it could be like this super rare wildlife of Earth that they're thrilled to see, and then we're down here and we're like, "He came from the UFO." And we don't know any better, so we're you know when you start mixing all this paranormal stuff together, it gets strange. I, I the, the compelling part of the interdimensional theory that, like I said, always sort of sticks with me is is sort of like the uh, I'll, I'll credit Nick Redfern for the argument because he points out you know you get the British Bigfoot and there's just isn't the 
there isn't the ecosystem to support a Bigfoot in Britain, but they see Bigfoot sometimes, or they have right. you know they have a history of Bigfoot sightings. So it makes you wonder. And, and I've kind of said this about the paranormal in general, where if even if it comes from the mind and it's a projection of the mind, that doesn't make it any less awesome and amazing. So there's always the chance that somehow the Bigfoot is a projection of the mind, which would still make it really cool, or it's interdimensional and somehow it get there's something that gets stuck here or something. Who knows? Well, that's exactly it. You said it perfectly. Who knows? And and I, I think it's all fascinating. I mean, I tend to lean towards it being a terrestrial creature that just hasn't been discovered yet. What kind of creature it is, I don't know. I don't know if it's more human than ape or more ape than human or animal. I just honestly don't know. But I think it's fascinating to look at all these possibilities because there are these cases, as I mentioned, and you brought up, there's some of them out there that have these high strangest qualities about them, the disappearing Bigfoot or uh, people hearing something walking through the woods and they're looking right where the sound is coming from and the woods is open enough that they can't see what's walking, but they can hear the crump, crump, crump as this thing's walking right by them. There's a lot of strange things that do happen in some of these reports. And um, my personal take on that is, I think if you're going to research this subject, you've got to be open-minded. Whether you want to believe it or not, you have to look for what the truth is. And you have to go down that rabbit hole sometimes to find out if that's truly what the, the case is. It may not always be, and you may come up against a dead end, but you can't discount these cases. You can't just walk away from these cases and say, two or three these cases happen, but it doesn't mean anything. Somebody claimed they, they saw something, so you've got to check in to see if there's any validity to it. Exactly. I was thinking about it, too. It's You know, people say uh, the dolphins are super smart, and they're almost as smart as people, and which must be very frustrating for dolphins. But then you don't know what, for all we know, the Bigfoot could be, like, just as smart as a dolphin. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be almost as smart as people. So who knows? Again, I go back to I go back to this who knows because it's it's fun to speculate about with the Bigfoot. I hope it is more of a flesh and blood animal because I can't deal with the interdimensional aspect of it all. I hope that they just find out that it is a that it is a bipedal hominid on the on the run out there. Well, I hope so too. Uh, I was asked a question at a uh, conference I was lecturing at about seven or eight years ago. Somebody asked me do you think Bigfoot's paranormal? And my answer was, I hope he's not, because if he is, I feel I'm just wasting my time. Right. Because I'm exactly. never going to be able to prove what this thing is. Yeah. Sure, it's fun to go look, and it's fun to investigate and talk to eyewitnesses and, and have that uh, legend hunter's feel in the woods, you know, or that legend tripping experience, but that can only go on for so long, <laughs> you know. You, you get tired of going round and round and round looking for answers and, and more questions pop up. It does get frustrating, but in the same sense, uh, it, it's also perplexing. I want to know. <laughs> I mean, I've, I'm so tied up in this after so many years. I've got to know what the truth is. Whether or not I like the truth is a different story, but I've got to know what it is. Yeah. I, you hit the nail on the head there with the – if it is paranormal, it's too – it's way too frustrating to try and uh, – it, 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 it's it's too perplexing to think that you're that it could that it could you might not be able to get it so it's a uh, it's a mess now what happened I remember when I first got into this uh, I said when I first got back into this about twelve years ago or so it, it, there was a lot of talk about this dermal ridges thing it was sort of like oh this is this dermal ridges is a new breakthrough but but now it's been like 
it was probably about 15 years since the Dermal Ridges thing really uh, burst onto the scene. And obviously it didn't break the, it wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. So was the Dermal Ridges thing just a, just a red herring in a sense? Um, I can't honestly answer that because the situation, um, I really haven't had the chance to see the tracks myself. And the situation, it's kind of an odd one. And what I mean by that is um, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum has several tracks in his possession. He probably has over 200 castings in his possession at his lab out in Idaho State. And um, a forensic specialist by the name of Jimmy Chilcutt happened to be watching a show on Bigfoot one day on TV and saw these prints. And he is uh, probably one of the world's most leading experts on dermal ridges, whether they're human or non-human prints. And he's actually gone out and uh, fingerprinted, or I should say uh, ridge printed, uh, the largest number of primates around the world. So he has a vast collection of primate prints as well as human prints. And he's very familiar with these. And he saw these ridges on the bottom of some of Dr. Meldrum's casts. So he went out to meet with Jeff and to examine these casts for himself to, to see if they were truly ridges. And he came up with the determination that they are truly some kind of dermal ridge. And even showed the patterns on the flow patterns on the, the castings were different from primates and they were also different from humans, like a, a flow pattern all their own. Yeah. And. It was fascinating. Everybody's like, there it is. There's the definitive proof. And he even admitted on several documentaries, I have no doubt there's some kind of bipedal hominid out there running around because there's your proof. You can't fake dermal ridges. Well, a few researchers started getting involved. One of them by the name of Matt Crowley, I believe, uh, started getting involved with this whole dermal ridge situation and wanted to find out if, in fact, that these ridges could be duplicated. And what he found out was that, yes, they can be. And he found out by pouring molds and, and continually doing it that occasionally sometimes plaster or the molding material, whatever it be, can make artifacts and, and leave little raised ridges in the cast, which closely resemble the dermal ridges. Mm. So he was quick to point that out, and there was a lot of debate and argument back and forth that the ridges are legitimate. No, they're not because they can be replicated. So it kind of died down after a, a couple of years of back-and-forth debate, and it lost its whole luster, if you will. Yeah. Well, there's not much you can really do with it, because even though people were excited about it, and I was even excited about it, well, like I said, when I first kind of heard about it, but then it's like, well, I guess best-case scenario, what could you really use it for other than to, what, substantiate a cast after the fact? I mean, that's not going to help us really, uh, you know, pin this thing down. Right. It's going to show, and, and this is hypothetical, if those were truly ridges or scarring on, you know, left on the, uh, the, in the track that was picked up by the casting material, the, whether it be plaster or whatever, um, all it's going to show is that there is something out there that needs to be investigated. It's not going to tell us what Bigfoot is. It's not going to tell us, you know, its habits or anything like that. It's not going to provide the, the uh, deni undeniable proof to science that this thing is real. It's just that something is out there leaving these prints, and it's going to probably raise more questions than answers. And that's what it did for a little while, but it kind of, like I said, it kind of lost its luster. Yeah, yeah. There's not much you can really do with it. It'll be interesting to see if it ever pans out, if they ever get the Bigfoot and, and they check his feet. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, that Dermal Ridges thing was true. So um, right. Now, what the other... The, see, the, now the Dermal 
Bridges has given way to the other big D, and that's DNA, and that's the that's the other big thing that people are really going crazy about, especially in the last year. Of course, they had the uh, the difficult, let's put it that way, uh, Melba Ketchum story that, much like the Rick Dyer story, <laughs> went went everywhere. I just hope. I just hope when they eventually do get the Bigfoot, it gets the press it deserves, because the people who keep saying they're getting close and nailing it, uh, they get all over the news. But what what, what do you make of the whole Melba Ketchum thing? And and, and then we'll we'll couple that in with the the, uh, professor there in England. The name escapes me off the top of my head, but he he did a lot of great work uh, this past fall, came out on the TV and stuff with the Yeti and everything, but it seems like the focus now is on DNA. I guess that, let's start from there. The focus is on DNA. Where, where, where do you stand on the use of DNA in, in this whole mystery? Well, I think DNA can prove that Bigfoot is real or not. Um, it, it can be proven that there is no other animal uh, that can be classified, and, and they can, they're getting to the point now where they can tell what the female species was or the male species was, and and, and I think DNA is going to prove Bigfoot exists. I don't think we need a body. That's just my opinion. But um, the the Melba Ketchum thing, I think, started out um, with good intentions, and it kind of became like a, a train wreck. Hmm. It jumped the track, and it just it became a giant cluster. And a lot of samples were collected from all over the country. I believe there was 109 total samples that were submitted to her, whether it would be saliva hair, blood, tissue, um, you know, different different samples by um, some credible researchers. And I think that it's all intents and purposes started out on the up, up and up, on the, you know, the positive, honest level. I think money became involved and attention became involved, and unfortunately the, the whole study kind of went south pretty quick. Yeah. Um, it, it became quite evident that it wasn't going to get – peer-reviewed um, by a reputable scientific journal or a scientific uh, department of a university. So uh, Melba and her associates ended up purchasing, purchasing the DeNova journal, um, which they claim was a legitimate scientific journal, but nothing had ever been published in it. <laughs> and, yeah, they uh, they published their findings uh, in this journal, um, and they never would release the actual evidence that they had to other scientists to look through this um, to be able to verify um, what they had, what their claims were. Uh, they never re- uploaded anything to the, the GenBank. Um, so a lot of researchers who read the, the study and, and looked at the information that she did release felt it wasn't what she claimed it was. And she actually claimed that it was a, a new species of creature that was female, uh, a human interbreeding with an unknown male, um, whatever the species was. And that's yeah. about as far as she could you know, come up with a conclusion. And this dated back, uh, a species dated back 15,000 years. So her um, findings and her study that was released to the public uh, made a lot of media news and a lot of headlines, but it kind of never went anywhere. It, it jumped the track, and that was pretty much the end of it. When other reputable scientists were coming forward and saying, no, your samples were porcupine and badger and beaver and horse and cow and you know, yeah, it just kind of fell apart pretty quickly. 
Yeah, yeah. The uh, the, the doctor uh, just to just to jump in. So uh, thanks to Digger Dog in the chat, he uh, he he name checked the doctor for me. That's Doctor Sykes in England who uh, who's, right. who's been doing that great work uh, on on the DNA stuff. Yeah, Doctor Brian Sykes is from Oxford University, and he became interested in the phenomenon, and he began doing a study um, very similar to. Melba Ketchum's. Now, he didn't have as many samples as Melba did in her study, but a lot of the samples that he got were from, uh, again, credible researchers. And um, I know Dr. Jeff Meldrum submitted some samples to him. And um, he did a look at, at several different um, creatures, the Yeti, of course, and the North American Bigfoot. And he determined, what I found interesting is, um, based on two of the samples that he had, he determined that um, what he believed could be the Yeti was nothing more than an extinct polar bear. Um, and that's fascinating in itself. If right, that's the case. right. Now, what people don't know is there's three descriptions of Yetis that have claimed to be seen over in Nepal, in the, in the Himalayas. I mean, there's one that fits the description of a giant bear. So if that's the case, then... You know his findings are spot on the money. Um, unfortunately, the North American uh, Bigfoot, a lot of his uh, samples and, and things that were released on the TV program, the Bigfoot files, were uh, discounted as common animals: bear, um, canine, um, elk, moose. Hmm. So it, it kind of shot that down. But it was good to know that you know these samples can be ruled out. Now he has not released his full findings yet through his paper. We're waiting to see when that does come out, what his full findings are. But the TV show that was on the Bigfoot uh, files um, talked mainly about the North American Bigfoot and I believe the Russian Bigfoot. Um, Z- I believe her name was Zana. Yeah, um, Zana, yeah. Zana, the supposed female Bigfoot hybrid or whatever she was that was um, captured and made a slave. Um I believe the findings on that was that she actually was a uh, descendant from North Africa. Yeah. Um, so really his findings didn't prove Bigfoot existed, but some interesting information still came out of his his study nonetheless. So again, we're still waiting to see what his full final report is. Um, I think his study was far, far more credible than Melba's study was, and uh, I think it, it got a lot more po- positive feedback from the Bigfoot research community. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I I talked about this on my year-end show. Was it, it was another one of these situations where the media kind of missed the story. You know, they were like, "Oh, the Yeti's a bear," right? And it's like, but yeah, but he's saying the Yeti that the sample they got was from a, like a million-year-old extinct bear. That's that's amazing. What, what you're missing? You're missing the whole point. Media that's that frustrated me in a way because cryptozoology, as Lauren Coleman likes to point out, uh, is is not just the study of uh, unknown creatures, but out-of-place creatures. So uh, a million-year-old bear in the Himalayas is pretty is pretty amazing. Right. Oh, that's, yeah, I was excited when I heard us. that. I, I was very excited when I heard that. And, and I was asked uh, on a radio interview what my thoughts were, and I'm like, it didn't prove the, the abominable snowman exists, that we think it is, but it still proved that there's some kind of extinct animal. And cryptozoology is the study of unknown or hidden animals, animals thought to be extinct. So if there's an uh, 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 an ancient polar bear running around that was thought to have died out forty, fifty thousand years ago, man, that's big news. And why isn't that being covered? Ah, uh, because it's more, <laughs> it's more, you know, it's more exciting for them to say that uh, 
right. to, to dismiss the Yeti. It's it's unfortunate, but well, it's puzzling. Uh, I have this in the notes here. It's puzzling that there's that there's all these Bigfoot creatures all over the world, uh, but we still haven't haven't pinned one down yet. That's that's the both the frustrating and fascinating part of it. It would be one thing if it was sort of this one isolated, let's say, pocket of northwestern United States, but but we're talking about Yowies and Yetis and, and, and uh, Yerens and creatures all over the world that seem to resemble the Bigfoot, yet we still haven't nailed them down. It's pretty, uh, it's, like I said, it's both fascinating and frustrating. Oh, exactly, and that's uh, I think that's a main reason why a lot of the, the folks who subscribe to the paranormal theory kind of, uh, they use that as an argument. We've never found a body, we don't have bones, we never captured a live one, so they must be paranormal. They're almost like they're trying to solve a mystery by using another mystery. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and it is fascinating that we haven't found a carcass, um, and it's, it's also very frustrating, as you mentioned. But in a way, I can kind of see why we haven't found the remains yet. Uh, if we look at fossilized remains that are being discovered, it's not a creature that died 500 years ago or... A hundred years ago, these are creatures that died millions of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago, and uh, it takes a long time for bones to fossilize. People unfortunately don't realize that it has to be the right conditions, the right type of soil, the right kind of pressure, the right kind of environmental conditions for bones to fossilize. Um, I've known this for a while, being that I'm a hunter. When an animal dies in the forest, usually within seven to fourteen days, that animal is completely decomposed. Yeah, I'm sure there will be some bones left. But you have small predators that come around like porcupines and, and um, mice, field mice that come around that like the calcium, and they like chewing on those bones, and they scatter them. Mm. So a full carcass to find in the forest would be pretty difficult. Um, being a hunter, I've never found the remains of a dead bear that has died of natural causes in the forest. Um, I found some deer bones, of course, you know, from time to time, but I don't find it every time I go out. It, you know, there's a population here in Pennsylvania of, of literally millions of deer, and it, we know deer die every day, natural causes, being shot. You know, so we should be tripping over deer bones <laughs> every time we go out in the forest, and we're not. So I can I, I can kind of understand why we're not finding a body, uh, especially when the species that we're looking for has uh, such a low population, a uh, low number of creatures out there. If there were millions like there are deer, I'm sure we would found more than one body by now. Yeah, how many do you think there are a ballpark? Uh, I wouldn't even be able to venture a guess because if you ask me how many antelope there are, I wouldn't be able to tell you that. So, so but but how many how many do you think we're dealing with uh, Bigfoot here? I, I honestly don't know, and I, yeah, I it's really a hard question to even. I, I couldn't answer that <laughs> because, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if these animals really exist or not. Um, I've done so much research that I still have questions to this day, and I can't definitively say these things are real. Wow. Um, so I, I, I don't know if Bigfoot exists. I've never seen one. Um, I've had some strange experiences in the forest that I can't relate to common wildlife, but I can't say they were Bigfoot. Um, I know there are credible people that are claiming they're seeing Bigfoot, and there's some pretty interesting anecdotal evidence. But can I say 100% Bigfoot's real? No. Um, but in the same sense, we don't know how many of these animals are out there. We don't know if there's 5,000 or if there's a hundred, right? You know, we don't have the ability to study these animals in the natural habitat. 
Now, from all the claims that we get, especially as of recent, you would think there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of these pigs <laughs> everywhere because everybody's seeing them these days. Yeah, it stands to reason there must be a small pool of them. Uh, I'm gonna stick to the to the flesh and blood aspect of it. Otherwise, we could be, you know, we could have a population of a million Bigfoot, but they just exist in the other dimension. They just come into Earth for, for some various reason. But that's again, that's like you said, it's trying to answer an unknown with another unknown. They're here for the pizza. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I said to somebody a while ago, uh, since we keep finding since we keep finding Bigfoot scat all the time, maybe they just maybe maybe our dimension is just their bathroom. That's a good possibility. <laughs> uh, we really, unfortunately, we, we just don't know much about these animals. As, as much as I'd like to admit that I, I know everything there is to know, I don't. Um, as I said earlier, we discussed we're basing a lot of this information off of eyewitness testimony, what people are telling us they're seeing, uh, what people are telling us, you know, what they're hearing out there in the forest, um, the tracks that we find, um, and even some scientists who are looking into this, they're making um, guesses based on what evidence, they're, little evidence they're finding. Um, so I have no doubt people are seeing something out there. What it is at this point, I just don't know. Now, I remember doing a show about the Yowie a while ago, and a couple of things stood out to me. And one was uh, connected with the overall Bigfoot mythos, and that was the the Bigfoot smell, that sort of sulfury smell that you hear about a lot. Um, so b- before I jump into the second thing that stood out, let's talk about that. I mean, have you? what do you make of that whole thing? It's kind of weird. It is kind of perplexing. Um, and again, going by what the eyewitnesses tell us, um, there are cases where they do encounter this very foul odor, whether it be uh, a musky type of scent, um, rotten eggs or sulfur smell or decaying flesh. Uh, even there have been reports of smelling really strong fecal matter. And uh, it, it, unfortunately, it's not associated with every single case. So it leaves us questioning and wondering, you know, why is it only certain cases have this reported smell? Is it something that, uh, like a defense mechanism that they encounter a human and they want to have us leave, or like a skunk would do. Right. Um, or is it because they're a hair-covered creature that's out in the forest that may not bathe? Right. I was just thinking that as I was kind of saying that. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're covered in all that hair and everything, and yeah, it makes sense. Getting sweaty and smelly. Yeah. I mean, we we're, we just don't know. Um, but I know that from my studying the cases over the years, not every case has an associated smell with it. Okay. There was once a great American named George Henderson. He met a woodland ape or Sasquatch, and despite its dangerous message of environmentalism, became his friend. But when the time came to do the hard thing and send it back into the forest where it belonged, and birds could perch on its shoulder because it was gentle, George Henderson summoned the strength, and by God, he did it. Did it hurt? You bet it hurt. Like a bastard. But he did it because it was the right thing to do. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Is that Harry and the Hendersons? You've seen it. This is my life, Jack. And then the other thing that, that stood out to me from the Yowie uh, stuff was this, this this sort of idea of people encounter these creatures and they, they have like an overwhelming sense of terror. Um, so And, and I'm going to couple that. I want to tie that into just a sort of, uh, you've investigated a lot of these cases and 
I've sort of championed the idea with a lot of other people. I'm not certainly not the one, first one to pick this up. Uh, championed sort of the concept of uh, when you're dealing with someone talking about uh, their UFO encounter, you want to find out really how it affected them. So I guess uh, I want to couch this all together because you've investigated these Bigfoot sightings. How do the people who see the Bigfoot uh, react to the whole thing? What's their what's their what happens to them? From what I've noticed, a lot of people have um, life-changing experiences, whether it's positive or negative. Um, some cases, I've talked to hunters and, and outdoorsmen or just common people who don't spend a lot of time outdoors that refuse to go back outdoors because they can't comprehend in their mind what they saw. Um, it was too terrifying. It was something that they've never experienced before, never seen, and, and all of a sudden it's put right in front of them and their mind can't wrap itself around what they experienced, and they kind of have that, uh, that denial. They don't want to go back out there and experience it again. Then on the other side, there are people that see this and think, what the heck did I just see? I want to know what I saw. I want to know more about this. I want to know everything I can, and they become obsessed, and, and they spend the rest of their lives looking for answers, looking for the creature to not only validate what they saw, but to try to learn more about it and understand um, the creature and what it is and, and why it did what it did in their sighting or how it acts. So I've seen both sides of the, the coin. Um, some people just are in absolute denial of the whole thing and just won't talk about it. I mean, it's almost like it's mentally scarred them, and they just won't open up and, and share any details about it. My goodness. Are you... a as someone who spent so much time looking at this, are you happy or disappointed that you haven't actually seen the Bigfoot? Because I, I, as someone, I haven't had any real encounters with anything supernatural, and I, I kind of waver back and forth myself about it, where sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish that would happen. The other part of me is like, I'm kind of glad it hasn't. But uh, how about for you? How do you feel about all that? Um, some days I'm glad that we haven't discovered a Bigfoot, and some days I'm frustrated. Just so, like I mean, you, you personally, like, as someone who spent so much time talking to witnesses and, and stuff like that, do you feel like, oh, I just want, I wish I could just see it even once, just so... Just, oh, sure. Yeah. I'd like that validation for myself, to know that my last 33 years of looking at the <laughs> subject has been worth something. But in the same sense, even if we don't find it, it's been such an amazing journey uh, the last three decades, looking at the research and... and studying others' uh, work and, and getting out there and investigating the cases myself and, and getting to experience the outdoors. There's one thing I always take with me is um, even though I'm out in the woods and I'm not experiencing Bigfoot, I'm out in the woods experiencing Mother Nature and wildlife and, and the outdoors, and that's, a, that's someplace I always love to be. So it's got its good points and it's got its bad points. I love the validation because I'd love to be able to tell those, the skeptics and scoptics, hey, Look, this is real, and the work that I've done trying to prove this hasn't been in vain. I'm not crazy. I think that I think you're gonna fall on the right side of history, man. You know, I really do. I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a believer in Bigfoot. As crazy as that sounds <laughs> to some people, but I just I find it hard to believe that it that it isn't real. But again, I go back to the idea that. There's sort of this tulpa idea. Who knows? Maybe it, 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 maybe it's some conjuring from the mind. But even then, it's still 
it, it still all comes together in a sense. You know what I mean? Where it's okay. Well, then these people who reported their Bigfoot sightings it didn't. They weren't full of malarkey. They weren't lying. They weren't hoaxing you. Uh, they projected it from their mind. Isn't that awesome? That, that'd be you know, pretty neat. Rhetorical yeah. sort. Of, <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be really interesting if that's what it turned out to be. That you know people, for whatever reason, have that ability to project a creature or to witness uh, some kind of creature based on what they're projecting from their mind. That'd be fascinating. And I would want to study those people to find out why they're doing it and how they're doing it and try to replicate it if it's possible. Uh, I, I'm convinced that people are seeing something. Mm. Uh, I used to be very – I wouldn't call myself a believer, but I used to be very close to 100% that Bigfoot was real. And um, you know, there was no doubt people were experiencing it. They were having – Encounters, sightings, footprints found. Um, I can't say that Bigfoot is real, but I, I can say I'm convinced that people are seeing something out there in the forest, and I want to find out what it is. Now, your group, the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, you uh, you stress right there on the front page that you guys are a no-kill uh, organization. Uh, what, so I, obviously, I don't need to ask you what your stance is on the killer no-kill debate. But I guess what's your what's your Beyond you know your 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 stake in that debate, what do you think of the argument in general? Uh, is it a valid argument, or do you think that that we really don't need to kill this thing if we're going to prove that it's real? Um, I've heard for decades that science needs a body, and, and I tend to agree with that to a certain point. As, as I mentioned earlier, I think DNA would be able to solve this mystery, and we don't need a full specimen. We might be able to get blood and tissue samples either through a a tranquilizer dart or uh, maybe a DNA dart, something to that effect that we can, you know, prove that this animal is real and then study it further with, you know, the scientific teams and going out there to, to find out exactly what this animal is. I'm not a proponent, as our website says, of killing one of these things. I, I don't think we need to harvest one of these things. However, if some a hunter, let's say Justin Smeha, um, hypothetically did shoot and kill a Bigfoot, that would solve the mystery right there, especially if the proper authorities were brought in, they were able to do the testing they needed to do, and uh, to resolve this mystery. I, I think that would that would help. Or if one got hit, as Lauren Coleman likes to say, he he believes that one's going to get hit by a logging truck and the mystery will be solved. Exactly. You know, I, I, if that happened, I'd be okay with that. But I personally don't go out trying to hunt one of these things down. And as funny as this may seem, if Bigfoot is real and they're out there. Who's to say that there aren't two or three lurking around the area and I happen to shoot mom? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I may not make it back to my car in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very it's a very nuanced argument like you like you got across there. I mean, I I agree. People shouldn't go out and kill go out and hunt the Bigfoot. That seems counterproductive in a, in a big way and dangerous because uh, I think somebody got shot in the last year uh, as a result of being mistaken for a Bigfoot. So it's not a good idea. But I guess part of me, well, I guess clarify a little bit or talk more about how you think the DNA would solve all this in a sense or, or, or would prove the existence because part of me, I, I, I feel like I don't understand DNA well enough to to get on board with that. Do you know what I mean? Right. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't understand it that well either. I'm not a geneticist or a genetic, genetics expert. Uh, I, I can't do a DNA test to save my life if I yeah. had to. <laughs> but I, I know that uh, it does show different uh, genes and chemicals and 
um, things in it that, that can match with uh, common animals or humans, and you can derive a lot from the, uh, the uh, DNA. You, know, you can tell if it's a primate or if it's more of a uh, Homo sapien species. Um, okay. you know, I, I think if DNA was collected and a good sample was able to be collected and they could run several tests and show that it is a species that we don't have, providing it's done by a credible researcher in a credible lab and uh, that information is put out there, like Brian Sykes, for example, if he came forward with the samples he had and said, we have an unknown species here, then I think the scientific community would say, okay, well, let's start to look into this a little further and find out what it is. Um, so you know, that's that's one proponent why I don't you know, recommend killing one or bringing a body in. I think if there's that push for the scientific community to start getting involved, spending the money, putting the people in the field that need to be in the field rather than just amateurs, hmm. I think we may get a little bit further than we are today. Now, I thought, I, uh, kind of in line with the Dermal Ridges thing, wasn't the whole Bigfoot DNA thing unknown hominid? I thought they did DNA testing on Bigfoot stuff a while ago. Um, is it just, am I mistaken, or was it, did it fall apart, or what happened? Because I could have sworn there had been some ongoing DNA tests. I, I, I could have sworn this has happened several times. It has, um, and there have been supposed hair samples that have been collected and turned in that come back as an unknown animal, not able to match with anything. And it's unfortunately not enough for the scientific community to say, okay, this hair that we had, it doesn't match anything, so we should be out there looking. It just wasn't enough for them at that time to really get behind it. Now, with the advancements in DNA, I think they're able to get a lot more from samples that are collected. But again, I'm not an expert in DNA. I can't you know, cite yeah. specific reasons why they, you know, they do that now versus then. But I do know that um, there were claims back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, when DNA was first starting to, to come into its own, and um, they were able to do microscopic tests with the hair to match it. You know, they were, weren't able to match it with certain animals or known animals. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Henner Fehrenbach, and he was out of the uh, primate, Oregon Primate Institute, and uh, unfortunately he's retired now. He's been retired for years, but he claimed that he had 12 hair samples that he called the gold standard of Sasquatch hair, and he felt they were legitimate hair samples from Sasquatch. But he could never get his colleagues or the rest of the scientific community on board to do anything with them, which I thought was kind of discouraging, but yeah. you know, that, that's what happened. So I think now that it's more popular and a little more accepted uh, in the public eye and there's a little more attention drawn to it, we're starting to see scientists slowly creep their way into this. I mean, it, think about this. In the 1960s and 70s, we had Dr. Grover Krantz, and that's pretty much it. Now we have Dr. Jeff Meldrum, we have Esteban Sarmiento, Todd Disatel, uh, Natalia Reagan, uh, more, uh, John, Dr. John Bindernagel. Uh, more and more scientists, uh, Dr. John Mayanzinski, for example, they're starting to look at this. They're starting to take it a little more seriously. So if something like Dr. Sykes, for example, if he put out something that said we have an unknown species, you may find more scientists jumping on board trying to figure out what's going on than we did 10 or 20 years ago. That's what we need, because if we had people who understand animals a little better, maybe they would 
come up with something that we don't know yet. Do you know what I mean? If, right. uh, they, they have a background in zoology. They they may have some insight into all this. Now, Digger Dog in the chat has an interesting question that I've also pondered for a while. Is there? He thinks there may be an effort to conceal the existence of Bigfoot, um, whether it be by the government or who knows. Um, so, what do you think of that? I'm sure it's it's, it's percolated in in the in the community for a while. I'm sure, and and you know everyone loves a good conspiracy. Uh, what's your take on on the idea that maybe maybe the, the powers that be don't want us to know that Bigfoot's real? Well, it's a possibility, um, and that's like the theories about what Bigfoot is. There are theories that the government's trying to cover it up, or certain agencies are trying to cover it up. The Fish and Game Commissions, the Forestry Division, they all know Bigfoot's real, but they don't want the public to know whether. Whatever, for whatever reason, whether it's to protect um, the forestry industry from uh, logging or like with the spotted owl out in the Pacific Northwest, they wanted to protect its habitat. So ah. you know, they closed off areas of land and kept them specifically for that, uh, that purpose. There's a lot of theories whether or not the government's involved. Some people say, yes, there's a deliberate cover-up going on. They've known about it for years. Um, the Army Corps of Engineers out in Washington State had a manual that showed a Bigfoot, actually, in their field guide. And, and they talked about, you know, they called it the Sasquatch, of course, and they said this thing was real. So, I mean, maybe they do know what's going on. I personally have never met any government officer or government official that come out to me and said, hey, yes, we're covering up Bigfoot. So I honestly don't know. Right. I think I, 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 think I, I talked to Lauren about this, uh, and he made the point about the – the uh, the army or whatever the CIA the NSA the, the folks who have the giant satellites that can read the newspaper or the uh, you know the serial number on on a dollar bill and and he sort of I don't know if he made the argument or if he had talked to somebody in in that realm but uh, generally just that, that that they don't pay any attention they wouldn't it wouldn't cross their mind the Bigfoot because they're busy looking for Al Qaeda or whatever so maybe something like that too with a fishing game type dude. He may have run across Bigfoot a few times. He may not be covering it up, but he may just be like, "There's no point in talking about it, you know. There's no, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just another animal." So. Right, and that, that's that's possible. Um, a question I get asked all the time is, with the advancements in technology, the ability for satellites to zoom in on a license plate, why haven't they found a Bigfoot? <laughs> and, and that's an interesting question. I don't have the answer for obviously, but. You have to wonder these things. I mean, is the government capable of watching family clusters of these Bigfoot walk around and they've known about it for years? Why would they keep keep it from us? You know, right? It's like the UFO phenomenon. Why are they covering up UFOs? <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. Um, I can tell you that I have had several people that have been in the military that have claimed that they were part, and one in particular came up to me at a conference and told me he was uh, part of a secret division of the Navy that uh, were fully aware that Sasquatch existed, and they would monitor them in certain areas in the Pacific Northwest. And they specifically did that when they wanted to do Army exercise, or excuse me, Navy exercises launching um, rockets into this area they wanted to make sure the creatures weren't in the area before they started doing their exercises and i found that quite interesting but no way to to validate his claims um you know try to ask him more questions and he'd kind of skirt around the answers and i can't talk about that that's classified right so 
but I, I've had those kinds of situations where people have said those things to me, and I just kind of shake my head and nod, and it's interesting, and uh, I leave it at that. It's noble of them, at least that they're that they were looking to make sure they uh, that the Bigfoot weren't there before they did anything crazy. So that was nice of them. But to to kind of to your point of like, if they can spot the license plate, why why can't they find Bigfoot? Probably because they just aren't even looking for Bigfoot. Right, exactly. And, and why would the NSA care what Bigfoot doing? Well, maybe they could use them as uh, super soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what what their involvement would, why they would conceal them, or why they would have any kind of involvement with uh, hiding the Bigfoot species or keeping them from our knowledge. Um, I, I really have never seen anything, like I said, myself to prove one way or the other. Um, now I've talked to uh, park rangers who are part of uh, the forestry department or wildlife and game commission. Uh, one in particular, I, I investigated a case in 2007 where a park ranger saw one of these creatures and he watched it walk down an embankment on two legs. And he told me, I, I know it wasn't a bear. I watched this thing for several minutes and I watched it pull branches into its mouth, strip the branches, the leaves off the branches. When it noticed me, it turned on two legs walked down the embankment, walked off in the woods, and disappeared. And I found him to be very, very credible. But when I went to interview him again, he said, I, I really can't talk about this, and I'd appreciate it if you do not use my name or my title or where the, I have this sighting at, because I could get fired from my job. Jesus. So, I, unfortunately, I couldn't give out you know the exact yeah. location and, and out of respect for him and his privacy – but it was an interesting situation. I mean, he told me, my superiors told me I, I could lose my job if I talk about this. I wonder so, why, because they don't want people storming the area, probably. It, it, it's possible. Maybe they don't want uh, poachers in that area or yeah. to raise a, a panic in the park. I, I don't know. I really don't know. But it's fascinating to hear stories like that, and they, they do pop up from time to time. Well, I've often pondered what the world would be like if we do get the Bigfoot. In a post a post disclosure Bigfoot world, I think it would be kind of scary. There'd be a lot of people. I don't know. Actually, that's an interesting question. You think there'd be? Th I think there would be a lot of people that would rush out to try and get their own Bigfoot. You know, if let's say somebody hit a Bigfoot with a car, next thing you know, there'd be a whole bunch of Justin Smehaws and Rick Dyers out there with guns. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, trying to go out and get 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 a Bigfoot, which is which is a scary development. But I I hope I hope uh, that wouldn't be the case. It'd be interesting to see. Let me pose it to you this way: Imagine a world where we nail the Bigfoot. What do you What do you think happens? How do you think it goes down? I, I really don't know. Uh, I would assume that if these animals were proven to exist, or creatures, or humans, or whatever they are, they would immediately fall under um, like a, some kind of law of protection, yeah. whether it be uh, uh, a, a known species, um, what do they call it, Endangered Species Act. Um, protecting it or, or something to keep people from going out there and harvesting it. Because if you're right, if they were found to be real animals, they did truly exist, then you may have every crazy hunter out there or crazy person out there in the woods trying to bag one. And you may have people out there who want to see a Bigfoot, so they're going to go out there and look. The paths cross and people may end up getting shot and killed. Uh, it may become chaotic. No. So there might be laws put into place pretty quickly to protect them or to keep um, people away from them, you know, from observing them. I, I really don't know what would happen. Um, I think it would be interesting um, to see what kind of course, you know, um, 
history would take, but at this point, I, I really don't know. I think you pretty much nailed it, though. I think it would be a mix of people trying to go out and see it, people trying to go out and hunt it, <coughs> and a lot of crazy people coming out with stories uh, that they have had contact with Bigfoot. Have you ever looked into that kind of stuff? There are stories of people who say they have a psychic connection to Bigfoot, or there's a family of Bigfoot that live in their backyard, and they, they feed them, and they know them, and stuff like that. There's some pretty interesting and extreme stories of uh, Bigfoot contact. Uh, what do you make of all that? Oh, yeah, there there are. There are those who claim habituation sites where they, they have uh, gifting exchanges with Bigfoot. They give them peanut butter on a tree in exchange for feathers and, and branches and stuff like that. Oh, God. Um, there's claims of people who have clusters of Bigfoot that live around their house and come out on a nightly basis, come to the house on a nightly basis to visit. Um, there's a psychic connection where people claim they're communicating with Bigfoot telepathically and and uh, the Bigfoot are, aren't here to hurt us but here to help us. I've heard a wide variety of claims and um, stories uh, I've never investigated a habituation case where I found anything to prove that a habituation case was going on. Um, some very close friends of mine in the field, uh, some very well-respected people that I respect, um, are looking into habituation cases right now, and uh, I haven't heard anything, either pro or con, whether they're legitimate or not. Um, but they, they do come up. Uh, I, I don't know if it's for attention or if it's legitimately going on. Um, the couple cases that I've looked into over the years where families have claimed the Bigfoot would come around nightly, we've gone out, we've sat on the property with no results. Um, we haven't heard anything, we haven't found tracks, we haven't had experiences or sightings. Um, and then one case in particular, I'll share this with you. Um, there was a gentleman, his first name was Brandon, and he lived in here in southwestern Pennsylvania, a very... Uh, urban area outside of Pittsburgh, and uh, he uh, claimed that uh, this Bigfoot-like creature was coming around his house um, almost on a nightly basis, and it frightened him so bad that he wanted to protect his family, so being a former Army Ranger, he got out one of his high-powered rifles and started to patrol the property, and he would call us and say, this Bigfoot was just here, you guys got to get up here, so we'd rush up to his property arrive just at dusk or at dark and go patrol the property, go search and not find anything. We'd sit down on the property for hours and nothing would happen. We'd hear no sounds. We'd hear, find no evidence of Bigfoot, but yet as soon as we left, he'd be on the phone calling us, guys, as soon as you pulled out of the driveway and, and got 15 minutes later, these things were coming back. And this went on for months. Jeez. And we found no evidence to support his claims. Uh, we Unfortunately, you have to investigate those cases because he may be telling the truth. There might be just that one time that you're there that you hit the mother load yeah. and you find the, the proof of, among proof. But for our trips out there, the months we spent night after night, weekend after weekend, we walked away with wondering if he was maybe delusional or attention-seeking or if he was truly experiencing what he claimed. We never found any physical proof to back up his claims. And that happens, unfortunately, from time to time. You sound like a very patient man, Eric. <laughs> I, I try to be. <laughs> yeah. I would. I think I would I think I think would lose it after the second time that happened. Or as soon as I was driving away and he called, I'd be like, yeah, man, all right, later. 
don't bother me again. <laughs> so you're you're very uh you're a very patient man. Now we we talked a little bit about the satellite thing. Uh another thing that kind of made the news a while ago was this I I I'm terrible with names, but the the guy who wanted to get the blimp to find the Bigfoot. Have you heard about that whole story? He was going to he was going to devise some kind of blimp to uh do an overhead search, which is a good idea. Um, but I don't know what's become of that. Have you heard anything Fal- about that? Yeah, the Falcon Project is what yes. it's called, and um, the gentleman's name escapes me at the moment, but uh, he got together with Dr. Meldrum, and they were trying to fund this project. I believe they needed like $300,000 to put a dirigible blimp type of situation in the air that would basically float around silently and have the, the latest high-tech um, thermal equipment and high-resolution cameras, high-def cameras mounted on this uh, blimp, and uh, they would fly it around large sections or patches of woods looking for Bigfoot, where Bigfoot sightings supposedly happened, or, you know, hot spots, if you want to call them that. And uh, they felt at that time they could get definitive proof that way, flying around different locations with the silent aircraft in the air, looking down on patches of forest, and, and they felt that they could be able to pinpoint where the creatures were, follow them back to wherever they were living or staying, and that would solve the mystery. But uh, last I had heard, they had not reached their goal of $300,000, and they're still soliciting funds, whether private or public, to get this pro- project off the ground, so to speak. It's a good idea. I do like that. That's a that's an interesting idea. What do you – in an all right, how about this? In an ideal world, right, let's say you won the lottery. But mm-hmm. let's say – no, let's say, let's say some, someone – some celebrity or something uh, just gave you a bunch of money, and you had to use it because there's the caveat that you have to use it to hunt the Bigfoot, or not hunt him, but you know what I mean, to search for Bigfoot. What's the best means to do this? You know, how would you go about going after the Bigfoot if you didn't have to work or you had a you know indisposable amount of money? I think what it's going to take to solve this mystery is for someone or a group of researchers, uh, scientists, experts, to be in a location where there are reported sightings for an extended period of time with the right equipment to collect the data. Um, Unfortunately, weekend warriors such as myself, and I'm not ashamed to call myself that because it's pretty much the time I, I can afford to it. A lot of amateur researchers don't have the time nor the money to do the proper research, nor do we have the training. Um, but if like you said, hypothetically, I hit the lottery and I had the money to be able to quit my 40-hour work, uh, 40, work week and to be able to spend an extended period of time in the woods with the latest equipment, the high-tech equipment to video, to audio record, to collect physical data, then I think maybe that would be the way to solve the, the mystery once and for all. But until that happens, I just don't see us getting any further. What we need the people to do, the people behind the $10 million Bigfoot bounty, is just give us the $10 million, and then we'll give you the Bigfoot. It doesn't, it doesn't work the other way. Someone needs, to, someone needs to explain that to them. It's like, listen, give us $10 million, we'll give you the Bigfoot, then you can get $100 million. That's right. I'll give you the email of the producer of the show. You can contact them. <laughs> yeah. I'll explain to him how, how basic paranormal math works. <laughs> Um, I think it's a, it's a great idea. Um, I know there there have been supposedly over time um, investors who have gotten behind the Bigfoot phenomenon. Um, Tom Flick 
is a perfect example. Texas uh, millionaire that um, oh, yeah. got behind the uh, the study over in uh, for the abominable snowman in the 1950s, and uh, Wally Hermson, um, who's funding the BFRO or was funding the BFRO, he was a multimillionaire that really got behind some researchers that provided them with equipment and um, to be able to go out and do it. Uh, I don't know if he's ever funded a long-term expedition to go looking for the creature, but that's what needs to be done. Uh, there needs to be a scientific team in the forest for an extended period of time with the right technology and right equipment to do the study. I think so. Yeah, you need that extended period of time because that's when you're going to come across the whole thing. But again, exactly. we're de- we could be dealing with something that's way more intelligent than us. I, 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 Lauren suggested that that somehow that that a woman would be able to find the Bigfoot easier. He some I think it has to do with uh, pheromones and stuff like that. It'll be interesting. Uh, I guess you would have you really wouldn't know how to go about doing that. But it's an interesting sort of idea. Well, yeah, I would I would agree with Lauren. Um, for some reason, and from what I've touched on through my research and learned a little bit about. It seems like the women, whether it be pheromone or whatever, they seem to be less threatening to the creatures, and the creatures are more uh, prone to come around women from what I've been told and, and researched and looked into. And if that's the case, you know, maybe we should have a team of female scientists out there in the bush looking rather than men. Maybe the creatures think that men are more aggressive and, and more uh, dangerous than the female researcher would be. I've heard that from several people and, and from talking with even female witnesses um, who, who've claimed that they've been approached by a Bigfoot creature. And again, I don't know if it's the, the pheromones or hormones or what they're sensing, but uh, it, it's a good possibility. Now, you've investigated all these cases. What do you do when you when you take me through sort of your textbook case? Uh, you know, someone gives you a call. What what do you do? Because I wouldn't even know where to begin on all that. So this is a good sort of primer for folks on, on what to look for in the event that they see something or experience something. Here's a real investigator, folks, who can tell us what we're supposed to be looking for. So, you know, what's your what's your general sort of uh, thumbnail investigation? Well, what I try to do is if we get a, a website report, a phone call, an email, uh, someone comes up to me face-to-face um, to report what they've seen, the first thing I want to do is write down everything that they tell me, um, document as much as possible, date, time, location, weather conditions, the experience itself, um, the environment that the sighting took place in, because that gives me a, a starting point to know, okay, well, they saw it in a desert. That's Okay, they probably didn't see a Bigfoot versus they saw it in a thick forest. Okay, well, they maybe, maybe they did see a Bigfoot. So there's a lot of questions I try to ask. Uh, to the eyewitness to get as much information as I can. Um, From that point, I can pretty much make a determination whether or not they saw Bigfoot or had a misidentification or they feel they saw Bigfoot, I should state. Um, And if I feel that they believe they saw what they claim, then I'm going to look a little bit further into it. And time is of the essence. Um, If you get a report three months from now, it's really not going to make any sense to go out in the forest and look for evidence because chances are you're not going to find anything. But if they have a report this afternoon and you can get out there in the evening, you want to get out to that location as quickly as possible because evidence is might still be there to prove that they did see something. So um, I want to try to get the witness to take me to their sighting location. 
and not just send me there because I'm going to be walking around the woods wondering where yeah. you know, the creature was. Seen, yeah, exactly. You know? So yeah. it, it helps to have the eyewitness take me right to where they saw the creature. And once I get there, I want to treat the area, as I call it, like it's a crime scene. Right. I, I want to be very careful as to where I walk, where I step. I want to try to search the ground for any tracks, any sign of uh, something large moving through the brush, trampled brush, trampled ferns, broken branches. I want to look for, for definite signs of a large animal being in the area. And at the same time, I want to look for physical evidence, droppings, scat, um, hair samples, um, anything to really indicate that a large animal might have been there. And if I do find that, then I want to try to collect those species, or, excuse me, those specimens um, as best I can without contaminating them. Mm. Uh, in other words, using um, latex gloves, um, using sterilized either tweezers or containers, because if I get human contamination on that evidence and they try to go get DNA from it, chances are they're not going to be able to get DNA. Yeah. So you want to be very careful when you're collecting that evidence. Uh, most of the time, I'd say 95% of the time, 98% of the time when I go investigate a case, we don't find any sign of evidence. Um, maybe we find sign of something big walked through the brush or something large was in the area, but we don't find the definitive footprint with the five toes in it. You can say, wow, there's a track. Um, or you find hair on a barbed wire fence or stuck on a tree. that You can say, look, there's <laughs> that could be Bigfoot hair. It, it very rarely happens. So time is of the essence to get out there in hopes that you can find that definitive evidence. And then once you do and you're able to collect the specimens, um, fortunately I've, I've built up a pretty decent network of scientists who are willing to look at some of the evidence you know, and say, okay, we'll look, at it, we'll look at it under a microscope before we determine it needs DNA tested. Hmm. And like Dr. Meldrew, for example, he works with us in my group to look at some of these hairs to say whether it is or not. Um, perfect example, in 2009, we found several strands of long, coarse hair on a broken pine tree. And uh, we collected it with the latex gloves, with the um, sterile tweezers, uh, put it into uh, paper envelopes, and uh, I personally handed him the two envelopes of hair that we had. He took it back to his lab in Idaho, did some microscopic testing on it, and he let me know that it, he did not believe it was Sasquatch hair. Um, he didn't really tell me what they were, but he didn't. He said these aren't Sasquatch hair. So, I mean, we were able to collect them and get them tested, and we had an answer. But unless you're able to get them collected correctly uh, and you can contaminate them, it, it's a waste of time. So that's the the general summary of how we do an investigation. Um, we try to do it as thoroughly. Um, and as scientifically as we can, but as I mentioned earlier, we're amateurs. Um, I have a background and a degree in communication uh, with an emphasis on broadcasting, so I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I'm not a biologist or a zoologist or a primatologist, but I rely heavily on those folks that are, that are willing to help us, and I try to follow their lead and what they teach me as far as collecting specimens and, and samples for them to study. Well, it's a very difficult thing, too, because I could walk through my neighbor's backyard and they would see me, but if you came in four hours later, there almost certainly wouldn't be any proof that I walked through their backyard, and I know I exist, so right. it's almost the same kind of challenge, because you don't know what kind of, the ground is, you know, the, with, with, with tracks and stuff like that, you really got to rely on, you, you're you're reliant on the on the state of the ground. Exactly. So. 
Exactly. Unless it just rained or something. The perfect conditions for tracks to be found. You can find impressions in the ground. You can walk, like you said, you can walk through a backyard and leave impressions in the ground with your boots or your shoes, and they look just like human-shaped impressions. But I can't tell you if that was a Bigfoot that did that or you did that, unless you see the tread of the shoe in the print. All they are is impressions. So we don't know. And that's normally what happens if we do find tracks. They're impressions in the ground. And I make sure I let everybody know that up front. We found impressions. They could be human. They could be something else. We take measurements to make sure that you know they're within the human range. Sometimes they're very large impressions. I found 19-inch long impressions at a sighting location in 2009. Uh, does that mean they were Bigfoot tracks? No, but they were very large impressions in the shape of a human foot. I can't say definitively they were Bigfoot tracks, but they were quite interesting. Hmm. I get driven crazy by skeptics. Uh, this is completely a different path, but uh, I noticed you called them scoptics, which I like. I don't get why skeptics... I don't get why they have to hate on Bigfoot so much. If you, if you don't believe in Bigfoot, then why don't you just leave people alone who are trying to figure it out? I don't get this. Is, this seems to be an undercurrent too of the skeptic side, where it's, they don't just want to they just want to rain on the parade. It seems sometimes, which is un- unfortunate. Well, I think it's good for everybody to be a little skeptical, and, right. and I, I'm even skeptical myself. As I said, I don't know if these things really exist or not, um, and I think that keeps me honest. Um, I don't take every claim out there, you know. Every claim that somebody turns into me is Bigfoot. I want to look at it as objectively as I can, and and you know here here you go. This is what I found. Yes or no? It was a Bigfoot or not? And usually it's it's not. Um, so I understand where the skeptics are coming from because they don't want to jump to conclusions. Uh, and if you believe everything you hear, <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So no, no, I'm in, I'm in favor of yeah. Let, let me put this. Let me, let me rephrase that. I'm in favor of skepticism mm-hmm. and being skeptical. But there's sort of this school of thought, this sort of like, uh, I don't know, this sort of negative end of skepticism that's, like, as you said, you hit it right on with sculptics. It's like this sort of uh, belittling aspect of it that, that I don't care for. Well, I'm sure you know Sharon Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I would consider her skeptical, but not a skeptic or not a scoptic. I mean, she's interested in the subject, and she, she just wants to see definitive proof. And I think if people have that attitude and take that attitude, uh, I think we get a lot more accomplished. But the scoffics who who completely bash the possibility or won't even take the time to look at some of the reports and to realize that there might be more to this than they understand or or have even looked at, those are the people I think that do the most damage or, or really, I don't know what thrill or what possible joy they get out of doing it but as you said why don't they just leave and, and leave us to do what we want to do or you know to do the research that we try to do but there is a difference between the skeptical and the skeptic in my opinion or the scoptic right right that's the uh that's that's the thing and it, it and it ties then it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning where it's these people who do the bad stuff they fuel the skeptics, and then we're kind of stuck in the middle here being like, listen, we don't believe these guys, so stop crapping on us in the media because we're really trying to get a get a handle on this thing. Right. Very frustrating stuff. It can be, yes. And being in it as long as I've had, I have been, it, it is sometimes it's frustrating, especially when you got the Rick Dyers and the Justin Smehas who are making the claims with nothing to back them up or very little to back them up. And then you've got... Um, the real diehard skeptics like uh, Ben Radford, 
Michael Shermer, I believe his name is. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. And those guys won't even <laughs> they won't look at the evidence. Everything to them is misunderstood, it's misidentified. Uh, there's no way a Bigfoot could be out there. Right, exactly, exactly. I've called for sort of us to try to come together, but you can't really do it with those two groups. But it's like, instead of being, instead of just closing your mind to it, take a look at it and or offer us some suggestions on how we might be able to do it instead of just outright saying, these things aren't real, you're wasting your time. It's like, how about saying, well, if these things are real, here's what you might want to try to do. Yeah, and, and, and I mentioned Sharon Hill. is a great example of... of what you should be doing. I mean, yes, she doesn't buy into every story, and, and she's very skeptical on a lot of things, but she's open-minded enough to at least look at the situation before she calls it something. Does that make sense? That makes total sense, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like Sharon's work. She does good stuff. She's keeping she an eye on the Bigfoot community, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> she does. She does. And, and I, I have a lot of respect for what she does and and her look at the field. I think if the skeptics were to take a look at what she's doing, I think, you know, we might be able to bridge that gap uh, a little more so than we are right now. I hope so. I hope so. We'll see what happens. Now, when we talked uh, over the weekend setting this up, you said we could talk about other cryptids. Part of me is like, what other cryptids are there? There's the Bigfoot, and then they all... I I I talked about this on an interview that hasn't aired yet, but it's sort of like Bigfoot's the big daddy of cryptozoology. It's it's kind of frightening in a way. I worry for cryptozoology if if Bigfoot's ever ever proven to exist and it moves into zoology. I'm I'm worried that cryptozoology may not be able to survive, or it'll fall even it'll fall into to the realm of you know spontaneous human combustion or something where where it's really uh, it's really fringe. But but what other cryptids are out there that fascinate you? Um, I'm a big fan of the Mothman. Okay. Uh, I have been for a long, long time, and and not so much for the just the cryptic aspect of it, the cryptid aspect of it. I'm a fan of it for the various aspects that are involved in the Mothman phenomenon, especially from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that that, that took place in the late '60s. That wasn't just a strange flying cryptid that was seen. There were other a lot of other aspects to it, and that makes that case to me just absolutely fascinating. Um, you had the poltergeist activity going on around Point Pleasant, the uh, huge amount of UFO and strange lights that were sighted in the skies. Um, and it, it just blew me away of how many other strange things, the men in black <laughs> were running around in Point Pleasant at that time. A lot of very odd phenomena were going on with that, the whole Mothman phenomenon and from 67 to, uh, 66 to 67. And then all of a sudden, it just as quick as it started, it quit. So that that cryptid there has always fascinated me. There's such mystery and intrigue to that story, and I think if if I were to retire from doing bigfooting, that the Mothman would be something I'd really dive into to to take a real hard look at. Here's something I, I asked some UFO researchers this uh, at a conference I was at once. Uh, I've never posed this to a bigfoot researcher, but we, we talked about a post bigfoot disclosure world, and and beyond the the world, what. You, you sort of intimated if you retire from Bigfoot research. I take it the the only thing that would make you retire from Bigfoot research is is the proving of Bigfoot. So what would you do if tomorrow they nailed the Bigfoot? Aside from, you know, being incredibly fascinated by it and being unable to be pulled away from the TV as they cover it and all that great stuff. I mean, what, where would you go 
from there into the Mothman stuff, or or would you just retire fat and happy? Um, I think I'd, <laughs> I I think I'd want to know more about the Bigfoot phenomenon. I wouldn't just step away from it and, and be done with it. I'd be thrilled that they finally proved this animal or, or hominid or whatever it is existed, and, and I would want to know more. I would want to know if what the eyewitnesses were telling us about this creature is true. Um, I, I'd want to know its habits, its behavior, its diet. Um, I'd want to know why for centuries we haven't been able to find one of these things. <laughs> you know, what? Wh- why is it capable of hiding itself so well from us, being so elusive? Uh, is it truly as intelligent as most people speculate that it is? There's so many questions that I would want answered. Um, and, and I'm trying to answer those now, but I would even more so want to know, okay, this thing is real. Where have you been for the past 200 years? <laughs> yeah. How have you been able to elude modern technology and those looking for it? Um, what do you eat? Do you have social groups? Do you bury your dead? Mm. Um, are you truly skept- uh, not skeptic, excuse me, uh, psychic? Are you truly psychic and able to communicate telepathically? I'd want to know all these things all these different theories people speculate about, if they're true or if they were just something that could be thrown to the wayside. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. It would be a weird place to be, in a sense. The mystery would be gone, but there would be a million more questions. Yeah, and I would be excited the day, hopefully the day comes, that they are able to prove this thing is real, and uh, it will validate for all the eyewitnesses who claim they've seen it, uh, the credible eyewitnesses. Um, and, and there's so much more we can learn um, once these things are proven to exist. And, and I don't think I'd retire um, so much from wanting to know what it is than I would from look, trying to look for it. Hmm. Or, or maybe even I might want to get to the point where I want to go out and see one of these things in the forest myself, knowing that they're really, really out there. It might push my desire and uh, motivation to really spend more time in the forest and really see one of these things in its natural habitat. I could see that, actually. Yeah, now that you say that, I could see that totally, where it's like, okay, they proved the Bigfoot's real. Now I'm going all in on this. Let's really let's really go after the Bigfoot, because now we know for sure it's out there. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, and, and I would, well, depending on what laws they pass, and, and you know, if, if we're forbidden to, to be in their te- their habitat, it's an endangered species and you can't go near it, whatever, mm. I would do as much as I possibly could to validate my questions and my, you know, get answers for what I wanted to know. Um, so it, it would remain to, to be seen what I could and couldn't do from that point forward. But I know it, I'd have the motivation and the desire to really want to learn more, that's for sure. Now, I got this email here uh, 10 minutes before the show started uh, from a guy named Tony, and he had a question for you, so I feel like it, I should ask it. Um, so I'll be fair to Tony, since he he went out of his way to email me the question. Uh, he says, I've been interested in all things high strange for over four decades now and have read fairly widely on the topic. I am struck by the huge overlap in phenomena associated with Bigfoot sightings and poltergeist infestations. Loud crashes, screams, dropped or tossed stones... Ecolalia, I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome. Swearing, large and unusual bipedal footprints, glimpses of hairy, strange creatures with glowing eyes, truly rank odors, and deposits of unclaimed fecal matter. All of these occurrences are reported as being evidence of Bigfoot, as well as having taken place during poltergeist attacks. I'm wondering what Mr. Altman makes of this overlap. 
Well, that's something that I've talked about with other researchers, that there possibly could be a tie-in or a connection with other, other paranormal phenomenon, um, like the UFO and Bigfoot that are reported to be seen together, even though the cases are small in number, they still have been reported. Is there a tie-in there? The, the poltergeist activity, as you mentioned, the rocks being thrown at us, um, I really don't know if there is a connection or not. I think it's fascinating, and I would love to be able to find some uh, answers to that. I don't know if there's a tie-in or not, but we, we often speculate and we often chat, well, what if Bigfoot really is interdimensional and can do this or has these abilities that we don't know about yet or we can't relate to? And they often sometimes fall into the categories uh, that fit those other paranormal things such as the, the uh, psychic phenomenon or the interdimensional phenomenon or even, dare say, the, the poltergeist activity. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's it's really strange. That's what makes the uh, that's what makes the whole thing very strange. Now, there's someone very obnoxious in the chat room who wants to know if you think the Mothman was a fourth dimensional being. They keep saying, "Ask him, ask him." So I'll, I will ask you: uh, Do you think the Mothman was a fourth dimensional being? I honestly don't know. <laughs> Thank I, you. It, it really doesn't make sense why <laughs> the thing showed up in November of 1966 was seen by over 100 people in December of 1967 after the, the Silver Bridge collapsed. The sightings pretty much quit. I, I really don't know. I don't think anybody's ever seen the creature going in and out of a dimensional door. Right, right. And, and I honestly don't know much about the fourth dimension. I was just going to say, we don't even know what the fourth dimension is. So right. how would I mean, we know if he's fourth dimensional? But I, I had to ask, so... Right. <laughs> I did. I find the Mothman fascinating, but also way too way too perplexing to to even get into in the eight minutes we have left. So <laughs> you're you're, you're going to be back on the show in the future, and we can dig into the Mothman more uh, cool. at that point. Uh, tell me about. I want. We'll we'll get into some plugs here because I want to know about some of your other stuff that's going on now. Mountain Devil. That's the film you were talking about earlier, right? The Search for Frank Peterson. Right, right. That was a, a film that was released by Raw Footage. Uh, films this past November, uh, the director and film uh, film crew and the producer Ryan Cavallini um, started going out with us in 2010, and he wanted to do uh, not necessarily a Bigfoot documentary, but he wanted to do uh, because they've all been done. He wanted to do something where he could do a fictional film, but kind of encompass a documentary film into the fictional movie. And what he ended up doing was. Uh, the case of Frank Peterson, it really isn't a researcher who went missing. It's a look at a case of a gentleman uh, who really, his name isn't Frank, Frank Peterson. That's a, a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. But this gentleman claimed that in the 1970s, he and a buddy um, came across the Bigfoot that was harassing them at their hunting cabin, and they had multiple encounters with it. He thought it was a bear. He shot it and killed it, and they discovered it wasn't a bear, so they buried it at the hunting cabin. And he kept it very quiet and to himself all the way up to the point where he, on his deathbed he finally admitted it. And he told a police officer he was friends with and some other folks, his family. And the story got out, got out to our group, the PBS, the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. And even though we tried to investigate it, we came up with a lot of dead ends. So we were never, never able to really get much from that, that case. But Ryan took that story and created a fictional character, Frank Peterson, and based the fictional part of that movie on his encounter and killing the creature. 
And he also wrapped around that story researchers who go into the woods to look for Bigfoot, thus you know, myself and other researchers here in Pennsylvania. And he spent a lot of time with us in the, the, the forests and filmed us and was out on several investigations with us. And he actually went from being a skeptic to, well, there really could be something out there. He had an experience where he had rocks thrown at him in the forest while he was out filming one night. Jesus. And uh, he found the large impressions in the ground that he can't discount, he can't explain. So he was very intrigued, and he actually ended up becoming a member of our group. And he goes out with us regularly on research investigations now. But Nice. Um, the film was about 90 minutes long, and uh, it really takes a look, as he says, and I have to agree, it's not so much as a look at Bigfoot research, but the Bigfoot researchers and what we have to endure what we deal with, uh, looking at the cases, looking at the evidence we have to sort through and sift through, all wrapped around this fictional story of a, a gentleman who supposedly shot and killed a Bigfoot in a hunting cabin in the 1970s here in Pennsylvania. Nice, nice. Is there, what's the, is there a website for that? Uh, yeah, you can order it off of legendhunters.org. Nice. That's his, his website. You can go and, and check out the film there. I believe he's selling it for about 20 bucks. That's a good deal, yeah. Check it out, yeah. folks. And then yeah, you've got also uh, Beyond the Edge Radio. Tell me about the uh, the, the show here. Yeah, th- that's a show I've been doing now for uh, close to, well, this is our seventh year. Nice. Um, we started in uh, late 2006, or 2007, excuse me, and um, we've uh, covered a lot of uh, esoteric topics, much like your show does, Um we talked to a variety of different researchers who look into all facets of the strange and unknown, not just ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoot, but all different types of topics. So we, we try to dwell into subjects that aren't covered by mainstream media, um, whether it be um, people that uh, build props for Halloween haunted houses, or we had Midnight Syndicate, the Halloween uh, musicians on the show. We, we take a look at the... They're not so much normal, if you will. And uh, we've been on the air. Right, exactly. We call ourselves Alternative Talk Radio. Nice. Um, And we've been on for about seven years. Lon Strickler, who writes for Phantoms and Monsters, myself, uh, Sean Forker, the three of us have uh, been involved with the show one way or the other. And uh, we've had a lot of great guests on. We could get you on the show with us sometime. Hey, man, whenever you need a guest, I'd be happy to do it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I would love to do it. I'm a big Lon Strickler fan. Tell Lon I'm going to be in touch soon because I want to get him on the show too. Uh, I love that Phantoms and Monsters stuff. And I heard his Bigfoot story. It's wild. Yeah, his uh, Sykesville Monster experience in Sykesville, Maryland. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty crazy. It's it's <laughs> it's a wild story, folks. We'll we'll get Lon on to tell that story. But uh, where can so folks can find out about Beyond the Edge Radio at BeyondTheEdgeRadio.com? And when would that air Sunday nights? Yes, uh, we're over on the Para-X radio network, and uh, they can tune in Sunday nights between 8 and 10 p.m. Eastern time. That's when we're live, and if they want to catch our podcast shows, uh, any of the archive shows, they can go right to our website, beyondtheedgeradio.com, and we have a list of uh, the different uh, podcast uh, uh, options for you to choose from, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher Radio or Podomatic or any of them. You can check that out. Yeah, I've checked out the site. You got some awesome guests on there, so uh, I'm very impressed. I, well, I like you. people that are doing good shows and good radio, so I'm not. We try. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm always happy to uh, share the wealth and spread the word, and, and you know, the more the more good shows that are out there, the better. So 
It's always likewise. Good. Yeah, we we try to do the same, and and that's why when I said earlier it was a real honor to come on the show with you tonight. I was very honored that you asked me to be a part of your show. I really enjoy it. Oh, thanks, man. I really uh I really appreciate that. Uh, we're we're as offbeat as it comes. We don't even have a <laughs> a set day of the week. We're we're guerrilla radio in, in in the classic sense of the word, but we we like what we do. Well, folks. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to the live audience in just a moment. I'll, I'll throw the plugs in here uh, after that. Just uh, don't hang up, Eric. And folks can find out more from Eric at beyondtheedgeradio.com, also pabigfootsociety.com, and ericaltman.net. I can't thank you enough, man. I I just slammed you with a million Bigfoot questions, but I really do appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and, and, and feel like I'm finally back up to speed in the world of Bigfoot. So thank you so much, man. Oh, it was my pleasure and a real honor to be on tonight, Tim. Thanks for asking. And thank you to all the folks out there uh, who are tuning in live. You guys are awesome. Great showing in the chat room. And uh, big thanks to all the folks uh, once again in the chat room. Have a great night, my friends. Until next time, this is Tim Adal signing off. There goes the live audience. Let me just throw in the plugs here. If you're just listening to this on Blog Talk Radio and you have no idea who I am or what you've been listening to the last two hours, this is BOA Audio. You can find out more about it at banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. We're also on Facebook. Just punch in Banal of America. You'll find our page there. Like us. You'll hear more about what's coming up on the program. What you just listened to was a free two-hour program. We put them out almost every week, and they're always free. So if you can help us out and help us get in the black on this program and not constantly in the red, that would be greatly appreciated. There's two ways to do that. You can head on over to banalofamerica.com, click the PayPal button. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the Internet and you want to make a P.O. Box donation, you can also do that. The address is at Banal of America right next to the PayPal button. On the next edition of the program, Gian Kassar returns to BOA Audio to talk about his amazing new book, Scarlet Autumn, The Crimes and Seasons of Jack the Ripper. If you're a fan of hearing me go wild about a book, you're going to love this episode of the show. The book is amazing, and the interview is tremendous. You're going to learn a lot about Jack the Ripper on the next edition of the program. And hopefully that will be coming at you Wednesday, Thursday, next week at some point. And with all that said, thank you very much, my friends, for tuning in. Thank you once again to Eric for coming on the show. Really loved the conversation. Just a fascinating two hours that flew by. I cannot believe it. And on that note, my friends, until next time, this is Tim Badal thanking you for listening and signing off.